want to welcome everyone today to Dairy Science Digest number six. And today we're going to be focused in on a research article that is supplementing transition dairy cows, specifically ones with and without dystocia events with aspirin and seeing what effect that might have on her comfort and therefore productivity. And today we have with us Dr. Adrian Berrigan from Penn State University. And uh, we're so excited to hear more about your research. It's actually three different articles that you have recently published and pressed with the Journal of Dairy Science. Could you briefly introduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me, Reagan, and for sharing our research with the dairy industry. As, a, as I think that this is a critical step that sometimes we as scientists, we, we missed you know, communicating our result to the people that actually get to implement and get to see the benefit of the research. So my name is Adrian Berrigan. I'm a, an extension veterinarian and assistant professor uh, here at Penn State. I work in the Department of Veterinary and Biomedical Sciences. And I have been with Penn State since 2017. Before that, I did my grad school in Ohio State University. OH. Yeah, I have to say the Ohio State University, otherwise I get trouble. <laughs> and then before that, I got my DVM uh, back in Argentina, where I'm originally from. So yeah, that's uh, my, my focus uh, on is dairy industry, specifically on transition cow health and reproduction. So a lot of, of the, my research work is focused on helping the cow cope with all these physiological challenges that we know that they go through uh, in order to help them produce more, be more healthy, have a better welfare, and therefore have a better fertility later on. It's pretty incredible how, how tightly woven that transition period is to the success or failure of that subsequent lactation you know if she if she can cope i like the word cope that you use there in the in the beginning and if there's different tools that we can use to help help her cope um and it might be just a little bit more labor up front but can you tell us a little bit about about your research project and what what was the big question that you had basically in these three studies that you mentioned uh, reagan we tested two strategies. The first one was giving cows two boluses of aspirin, the big boluses of aspirin, every 12 hours, four times after calving. So the cow-calf, we give two boluses, then 12 hours later, uh, two boluses, and so on until we completed four treatments. Okay, so four treatments, 12 hours apart of two boluses. The second approach that we tested is the one that we actually did here at Penn State. And that's the one that after testing this one, I realized how much time consuming and logistically complex could be to have to find cows every 12 hours to treat those, um, you know, every four times. So therefore, we decided to, instead of doing four treatments, to do only two treatments and double the dose. So what we did, we did one treatment after calving, instead of two pills, we did four boluses. And then 24 hours later, we did another treatment of four boluses. And that was it. So logistically, it was much more appealing for, for the hair manager or, or for whoever was doing the treatment. And we found really, really similar results. 
just to kind of summary on, on some of the results that we found because there were quite a bit. I just gonna focus on milk for now, Reagan, and then we can jump into fertility and health as, as we move forward, perhaps. Sure, absolutely. And I and I think bringing up that you you were working through systematically the different strategies of you're absolutely right. Somehow that that cow tends to get a little bit wise when she sees you walking up with a balling gun uh, every 12 hours, it, you're up for a wrestle. Um, and so by doubling the dose and only only doing that twice, that would be very exciting that you've been able to generate the same results of decreased inflammation and improvement of her transitioning through with a little less labor. That's awesome. So on on the milk yield, what what all did you find? Yeah, so with no yield, so we found in the first study, the one that we did in the organic form, that actually is a larger study. So we have about almost 600 animals. So it's a pretty powerful study. We found that an increase in milk production in the first 30 days in milk, and this was in the uh, almost two kilos per cow per day. Okay, so two kilos would be about 4.4 or so, exactly, 4.45 per per day. So definitely uh, interesting results there. And then to see if aspirin will help more cows that had dystocia, okay? And we found that the cows that had dystocia and were treated with aspirin produced actually almost 10 pounds a day per cow more milk during the first 30 days in milk compared to the cows that had dystocia and were treated with this placebo, which was a gelatin capsule filled with water. Let's pause there for just a minute because we've all encountered that first 30 days of lactation and you can really, you can tell if she, if she hits the ground running and doesn't skip a beat, then she's going to set that peak lactation and just be an easier cow to manage for the rest of the year. But it's, it seems like those cows that maybe have dystocia that just trips and fall, you know, she's just not clicking in gear. It's almost like the transmission's not clicking in and that, that's very challenging. And so it sounds like capturing that small audience of uh, problem calving cows and treating them with boluses of aspirin generated 10 pounds of milk a day more. That's awesome. So the dystocia milk increase, we saw in the largest study, the one that we actually did treat cows for four times. Did you measure the inflammation? Was that what decreased that gave her that benefit? Did the inflammation change as a result of this? Um, we found that inflammation was decreased in multiverse cows, older cows. And a comment that I want to do on that, and we, we definitely have to do more, way more research on this area because we there's still so much that we don't know. But one thing that we did in the study, we measure inflammation and stress and another, another marker that is known as substance P, um, to see if the treatment will decrease any of those and indeed decrease inflammation, did not affect the stress. But one thing that we found is that primiparous cows, regardless of treatment, regardless of histocia, regardless of anything, they had a much, much higher inflammation, stressful and painful response compared to multiparous cows, to older cows. So those, younger cows they are really going through a really 
let's put in that metabolically complex uh, process. And this treatment did not affect those markers in particular in, in this population. Wow. You just struggled more. What do you think happens there? Is it, is it just the, what, what's happening biologically to those first calf heifers that makes their inflammation so much greater? Is it stress related? Would you guess? Yeah, so my theory, and again, we need to uh, do more research on this, but uh, those animals are, are naive to the process. They never went through parturition before. Um, it's totally something new for them. And my theory is that it's just that initial response. It's, for instance, when we have inflammatory response to a new pathogen, our immune system never have seen that pathogen before. So it's going to create and a specific inflammatory response that is a, sort of this shotgun sort of response, which is, is not really specific, is uh, costly energetically and things like that. And then once they develop the antibodies and store in the memory of the, in the immune cells, they will store a little piece of this pathogen. The next time that we meet that pathogen, the inflammatory response will be more organized, will be more targeted, more focused, more efficient, right? So my theory that with this first lactation cows, that is what's going on. It's the first time that they're being exposed to this, and therefore they have this sort of exacerbated and specific response from the inflammation, the stress, and, and the pain. I think the immune system of all mammals is just so fascinating. It's really cool. We talk about it through disease processes, like you were saying with the pathogens. But a lot of times we just we forget about the inflammation of events, physiological changes um, within your body still causes inflammation. So that naive event of calving and she's just spooked and scared and the inflammation response, that's, that's really fascinating. Unfortunate that, that this particular therapy might not work very well for your first calf heifers, but did see a response then for your multiparous cows. And I comment on that, Regan, before we move on, that is what previous research also have seen hmm. with, with aspirin. They have seen that um, it works for older cows, but it does not reach that point of modulating inflammatory response. And I'm talking about modulating because we don't want to stop it. Now we need inflammation going on because um, the placenta needs to be expelled and that requires neptophiles to de degrade those uh, protein binds. And, uh, you know, there are some bacteria that has to be killed because we always have some sort sure. some degree of contamination. So we, we want inflammation. We don't want to stop it. We need to modulate mm. it. So can I get it to the right level, no? Right. Um, but but that is, is con, it has been consistent uh, consistent in the previous research that primipers cows are they are not affected they they haven't seen any benefit on milk production or any other parameters that were assessed. Really fascinating. That's that's awesome. And it, when I was reading your your literature review, it was talking about the importance of the immune system in, in preventing retained placentas, and that's that's a a good reminder that a little bit is is a good thing. You know, it's there for a reason. And, um, and so, yeah, like you were saying, just minimizing it so it doesn't hold her back, but rather just amplifies the good side of, of inflammation. And a quick comment on that before we move on, uh, Reagan, is that there, there, is, there was a study that they use the anti-inflammatory drug approved by UCA for cattle, the to treat inflammation on cattle after calving. 
and they actually found an increase in retained placenta, an increase in metritis, fever, postpartum, and drop in milk production in the cows that were treated, and that the study discouraging the use of uh, that drug for postpartum inflammation management. That was um, really elucidating. When I read that line, it really, it set me back a little bit because I think that was a, a common treatment procedure that we would often give to our dystocia cows because you're just trying to make them comfortable so that they would eat. And, and so in attempting to increase cow comfort, it sounded like I was maybe uh, improving the chance for a retained placenta. And, and so it, it was just very enlightening to read that line talking about blue next treatment. And good to have that information and maybe uh, pivot and, and head a different direction to this, to this other treatment opportunity for those painful calvings. Right. So the, one of the theory there is that we stop inflammation. And that is why the placenta was not able to be expelled and the bacteria was not able to be killed and, and all the things that physiologically have awesome. to happen. Well, uh, what other parts and pieces of your research would you like to uh, share with, with dairymen with boots on the ground that have an impact on their herd? Things that we have found as well with this strategy, and I want to emphasize the key shorter strategy, uh, we have found an improvement in the metabolic status. So we actually found cows that the cows had a lower subclinical ketosis 14 days after calving, and this is with the second strategy, the one that is only two doses, okay? And we also found some benefit on uterine health. Uh, we actually are working on, on submitting the second part of the study that we performed here at Penn State, where we assess more reproduction and uterine disease parameters, and we actually found a decrease in metritis, decreased in uh, endometritis, and an improvement on days in milk to conception. So basically, this probably is all related. Now we prevent a uterine disease, those cows, the uterus is, is more healthy, is more ready for, for a start um, cycling and, and start the reproduction again, and then those cows get pregnant fast. So perhaps they're, they're correlated, but as well, as I mentioned before, we found a decrease in the metabolic stress, so basically it's that subclinical uh, ketosis, 14 days in milk, and there are tons of research that have shown us that a high concentration of these metabolites, BHBs, they affect fertility on the cows. Perhaps there might be different ways or multiple ways that this strategy is uh, helping fertility, but definitely we found some positive results, not only in this study, but in the ones that you were mentioned before, the ones in the organic cows. We also found improvement. So about, I believe that there was about 20 days sooner the cows got pregnant and they require less services to get pregnant as well. And this is an organic farm, okay? So they were not using any synchronization um, exactly. But in a conventional farm, we found similar results as well. So consistency. Uh, research, we try to see consistency among labs, consistency about trials. And that's what we're obtaining here you know, kind of reinforcing the fact that there's something here that might be real. Absolutely. And, and I think that highlights the importance of, of how the Journal of Dairy Science in its peer-reviewed nature uh, honors strong statistical uh, analysis. And so what, 
what you have published here by, by getting it through the Journal of Dairy Science editors, we know we can trust it. And you've had three separate interactions where you're having this resonating theme of improving that transition, which then results in the snowball effect of goodness. She, she makes more milk and she breeds back sooner and everything just clicks along like it ought to. And that's really exciting that it takes just a little bit of, of management up front the first, just the first 24 hours and a little bit of interaction with the cow at that moment will have impacts for the first two months of her lactation. It's, it's great. It's awesome. We can have that impact as managers. So have you done a, well, I was just going to ask if you've, if you've done a cost or value assessment uh, for the, for this treatment protocol that, that we're talking about, is, is there a benefit financially? Actually, we did a f- sort of an estimate on how much milk. The, the last study, the one that we treat cows for two days, we found increase not only in the 30 days, we found increase in milk on the first 60 days in milk, uh, So, which is double of the benefit. But all only we only found that effect on older cows, multiple cows. So I did sort of um, a quick uh, sort of crunching numbers uh, where we actually come out that for a, a Pennsylvania dairy herd, uh, uh, an average, you know, so we have a small size herds here, but for an average herd of 80 cows, uh, taking into account the current milk prices and the cost of aspirin and the treatment and labor, uh, that will represent, so the, the milk increase will represent uh, $2,250 annually on, on increase, on, on benefit. And this is without taking into account the decrease of uh, metritis that we saw, the improving fertility, only milk. I, I think that's definitely enough alone in just that one little parameter, but just thinking about how she's going to have improvements reproductively too, that's the cherry on top, it sounds like. So you've got milk, you've got reproduction, you have a, a less stressed, more comfortable animal is, is going to perform and I feel like it likely will improve her longevity within the herd, especially with these being our multi-pairs cows are starting to really pay the bills. Um, and so it's, it's exciting. It really is. It definitely makes sense based on the, if the, one of the main causes of calling of cows, that is cows not getting pregnant. So any strategy that will improve fertility of cows or decrease uh, health event or improve fertility, any strategy like that will, will most likely increase improve longevity on the cows. Correct. Yeah. Keep her in the herd. That's, that's awesome. Right. Okay, so are there, are there any pitfalls? Are there any drawbacks to this potential aspirin therapy that the guys should know up front? Yeah, well, I think that the biggest uh, people drawback that we have is a controversy about the legality of using these drugs in dairy farms. So definitely that is, is one of the, the main issues with this is that uh, technically it's not approved by USDA. And that is something that is definitely has to be talked with the veterinarians and, and consider and they can make their decisions. But And the idea with, with studies like ours and other labs is to try to move forward with getting an approval for this for this drug because uh, it's definitely we're definitely seeing some good benefits not only that are help and improving performance but also the welfare 
And that is something that we really are moving forward to with management now with veterinary care to improving the welfare of the cows in dairy operations. Absolutely. That these sort of studies were trying to move forward to try to get this product approved for use in dairy cattle. So that's one I, I believe might be the, the biggest one. And and the other one when it comes to milk withdrawal or milk withdrawal, the last uh, uh, withdrawal time that was provided by I used to say it was 24 hours in milk and in meat. And uh, there are not reports, and at least to my knowledge, of actually a risk of bleeding of cows or, or anything like that in cows, in cattle. Well, and, and the withdrawal, with the 24-hour withdrawal of, of meat and milk, that, that's definitely in alignment with what you're already pulling out for colostrum. And so it's, it's almost a, a freebie, in a sense. Um, right. Well, is there... Is there anything else that, that we could or should cover or highlight that you that I maybe have missed? And uh, one last statement that I will make is if, if somebody want to try, of course, always consult with the veterinarian, with your veterinarians before implementing anything like this. But if you want to start with something, I will encourage them to try with these, uh, what we call high-risk cows that are our uh, dystocia cows, our twin cows, our stillbirth cows, our over-conditioned cows, okay? So start with that population and monitor. If we implement something and we don't monitor, it's, it's gonna be a waste of our time, a waste of our resources. We need to monitor to uh, confirm or disprove that actually works or not. So we need to have the data uh, after we start implementing the strategy to make sure that it's actually working or not. Well, Adrian, this has been very informative, and I want to thank you very much for your time spent here today recording the podcast over Zoom. And to you listeners, I want to applaud you for taking time out of your day to learn about possible ways to provide comfort and relief to that dystocia cow that would ultimately reap benefits in your tank and and management of, of your reproduction cycle. This has been the sixth edition of Dairy Science Digest, a monthly podcast project designed to bring the Journal of Dairy Science straight to your ears. We highlight peer-reviewed research articles that are actively impressed, and we bring sound science to base your management decisions on, and it's provided to you by your University of Missouri Extension Dairy Team. So please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to get future editions straight to your cell phone. This is Reagan Blue with the Dairy Science Digest. Hope you have a great